before we begin, share this show with everyone you know. Make sure they share it with everyone they know. Check out my website at www.rss.com slash podcasts slash the dystopian republic. Send me your questions and feedback at Raul Guerrero Jr. 95 at gmail.com and support the show via my PayPal at paypal.com slash paypal me slash Raul Guerrero Jr. I'm Raul Guerrero, and welcome, my dystopians, to the Dystopian Republic. Our story for today begins on the late morning of November 20th, 2008. In the thicket atop the park near Deneve, Mia, Sonia, and Nova lay dead where they fell when Andrina, Marti, and Rocio shot them. High on her mind, feeling poison, Bliss leaned her thunderbolt pose forward, raising her arms for Marti and Rocio to use in helping her to her feet. Asked to dispose of the bodies, her new friends dragged her late bullies into the thicket and nestled them in its towering bush. The dead faces Bliss stood over refreshed her memory of the last words that came out of them. She was solemnly jovial that her wish for her ex-bullies to go away for good had come true at last, telling their rear ends to rest in hell with all others of their foul, spirited kind. The slides Bliss and her friends' feet took on the grass made them notice the blood on their shoes and the liquidy red trails they left. Abruptly panicking, they wiped their shoes on the grass until they stopped leaving prints, then made a run back into Andrina's SUV and rapidly made a getaway that two elderly joggers saw every bit of. In the midst of all that, Sonia's flip phone received a call from her sister Felicia that went unanswered. In an elementary school cafeteria, she voicemailed her joking that Sonia was in trouble for not calling her like she promised to. The note Felicia's message ended on sweetly asked her big sister to call her as soon as she could. Her smile stayed optimistic, even as the worry sickening her gained ground. It was unlike Sonia not to speak with her during the recess or lunch of any school day, let alone the particular one 
in progress. For some time now, she had been Felicia's greatest advocate, one of only two people whom she could turn to for support whenever her fights with Sayada and Isabella got very bad. Eldon Jr. cheered Felicia up by getting her all excited about her birthday party planned for their afternoon homeroom class. His pats to her cheek affronted her into anxiously slapping his hand off of her. In shock, he told her that he was just trying to help, wearing down her anxiety. That wear down, in turn, retold him the story behind the slap, having him give her an apology she remorsefully accepted. Felicia had Eldon stay by her side as they left for the playground. Her request was of no mind to him, nor was it anything that deserved discomfiture in the eyes of the other kids. The pain Eldon felt emit out of Felicia were the pangs he sensed hitting bliss any time Eldon Sr. and Trinity's neglects occurred to her. He was still confident that she was staying strong like he's always seen and heard her do. The aggressive mid-day traffic simmered Andrina's stress and frustration. Back from commercial break, a radio host went gaga about her father, Andrino Sr., yet again donating millions of his own money to the Bromelia State University system. He was the CEO of Caraverde, the nation's largest aerospace company. Andrino's reputation was that of an education advocate who sought to help colleges turn out business people and aerospace engineers by the ton. The emotion that mission stirred in the host was far lighter than the one it swished in Andrina. It angered her into slapping the radio off and yelling BS to the words she just heard. Andrina ranted about her father's company building weapons for war, not giving two stools about education and only being an advocate for brownie points. Marty yelled at her to watch the road, seeing her veer left into the other lane. Andrina snaked her way past ten cars in four different lanes. The honks her driving incited had her raging at the other drivers. Holding their seats, the other three talked her into calming her driving before she got herself pulled over. Rocio proposed that they all have lunch, thinking it'll get Andrina's mind off her dad. In reply, Andrina saw her suggestion as doing what she thought it would on paper, but not in actuality. Rocio asked her if she wanted or did not want lunch, disarming her somewhat into saying that she does. With that settled, Bliss's curiosity about her friends made her look forward to the comforting lunch that she was about to have. In front of a field that led into a forest, 
the place where they ate was a general store turned breakfast restaurant in East Hambleton. At a table outside, Marty envisioned the poached eggs she squished up as being human brains. Rocio pretended that the cherry pie she was munching on was cooked mortal skin and bloody flesh. Bliss imagined the rare steak she was cutting up as being the bleeding tissue of every bully she's ever had. Andrina smirked her rapture at the nasty, perverse spells the three were under. She held what she turned Marti and Rocio into very dear and adored the progress she's made with Bliss already. The forest beyond the field made it plain to her how fortunate she was that her friends entered her life when they did. That couldn't be said for the many kids like her, where the help she got never came, often falling into a place the forest hid from those whom its happenings didn't concern. A chasm with a nickname teens from both Hambletons knew very well. Dirt Pit Valley. The four girls traveled to a gravel lot on the edge of a forested hillside. They stared down a pit that was thoroughly forested over like a blood clot covering an extraction hole. The tales told about the valley made Bliss a tad nervous for herself and her friends. Like Big Nor, Dirt Pit Valley too had a dark side to its deep solicitude and all-around beauty. Bliss's friends knew that part of itself inside and out, having gone or been taken down there more times than they could count. The valley's near half was in Hambleton, while its far one was in East Hambleton. Its forest hid from view the lot they were on as it did to the gravel over at the latter town. Despite both areas being named after Hambleton Sr., their socioeconomic situations were as disparate as sharks and minnows. Their disparity had roots that sprouted out of a seed that was planted years before either municipality had even been established. Andrina noticed Bliss's nervousness and told her that the valley was the ideal place to hunt for bullies, the same kind of people that nearly drove her to suicide. Marty explained that now was her chance to save others from a fate her bullies tried to lead her to. Rocio assured Bliss that nothing will take the four of them down as long as they're together. Her friends' words wiped her nervousness out and resurfaced her poisoning high. Their climbs down old ladders entered them in a veneer in the nature of the one where Roy Sr. centered his revolution's operations. The campus before them was falling into the earth, having its 
nightly gloom illumined to a dramatic overcast its serene aura was scared away by teens raving laughing pleading and crying from a distance a hundred yards into campus a residence building stopped the girls' hunt in its tracks it crouched rocio down to an awe that took her to an era when it was very much in use that building was where she her mother juliana father edmundo senior and brother edmundo junior lived when roy palacios junior ran the settlement rocio poignantly mulled over the wildly perilous ride roy junior took her family on she didn't know about the racks he put them on until years after the fact the things her family confided in her about the fist he ruled with impacted her to an extent within reach of the scars his actions left on them andrina's suckering of rocio hit close to home for bliss as eldon would do the same whenever she'd be down in the dumps over her parents' failure to be there for her that hit lined the silver that was the time they spent and things they did together drawing up her desire to go home and have more of that quality time upon his return watching on marty's expression pinched stronger than a coconut crab stressing her wish of being the one andrina had her arms around she could barely stomach seeing rocio wallow like a young girl cuddling in a freshly laundered blanket chewing over how far apart they were in terms of their families of origin in a trice the distant noises the teens made recoiled and bugged out yet the natural aura that came before them didn't return that signaled to the girls that a homicide had taken place and that the people responsible were still roaming the area they rushed another hundred yards to the quad that lined the divide between hambleton and east hambleton the next thing they saw would make the signal they picked up the least of their worries that sight was rocio's cousin bakar otero gorily impaled through his belly button and down the old pen of a pond-sized enchanted fountain his unsightly bruises ravaged clothes terrified face and broken bones froze the girls right where they stood the face bacard died with oozed the rage out of rocio's tearily sober frown puffing out maniacal laughs that left her andrina and marty with no doubt as to who they belonged to lucia urrutia calista buenafe and amelia fragoso their emergence revealed the blood and guts they strained and splatted out of him 
the murderous highs intoxicating those three numbed the fatigues impairing their muscles and nerves their euphoric vainglories turned the ires in the girls into hyenas that have gone days without a bite to eat lucia welcomed them to their dear bacar's resting place asking them how they loved what she and her girls did for him Galista stated that it was precisely what an artless fat excrement lump like him deserved and had coming amelia blithely rocked her shoulders and grinned in agreement with what her friends said this was by no means the first time bliss's friends had come face to face with bakar's killers lucia galista and amelia were known in their hometown of east hambleton as the richest and vilest kids in town their families were free of the only ones of wealth in what was a worker's paradise half a century ago beyond the gated hills that housed its most affluent residents east hambleton was a bumpy slum where its dwellers stooped to whatever low necessary for food water and shelter the elite statuses bakar's killers enjoyed weren't enough to free them from worry they displayed their elitism with their dress attitudes grades bullying and vamping coming full circle with every soccer game between east hambleton and hambleton nicknamed the rosarion rumble their games were famous for their passion and excitement and notorious for their troubles involving players fans and officials alike those disturbances ranged from incendiary shouts to felonious violence bliss's friends and bakar's killers were particularly infamous for their fights one fight came about when lucia took the mic and told the crowd that andrina's late mother yolanda was down in hell and not up in heaven another was the result of amelia throwing a paper bag of cow manure that splattered all over rocio's face and a third one began when calista passed nude photos that marti took of herself to the whole crowd despite those humiliations bliss's friends emerged victorious over bakar's killers like clockwork seriously and appallingly injuring them hence the two trios were on equal footing with regard to the hurt they sustained and harm they dished out at all events bliss noticed how much bakar's killers physically resembled her ex-bullies it gave her three answers regarding where their bullying ways came from soaring her hatred of them to the same height that rocio's had reached that was when bakar's killers identified bliss as that girl their cousins bragged about tormenting 
They gave her the self-same gaze her ex-bullies had just prior to their fateful chase, singing a poem that ragged her for being the Mary that soaked the whole place in her crimson, watery excretion. The tones their voices went to refreshed Bliss's memory of the anguish she fell into after her ex-bullies pummeled her. Freaking out, she twice shot into the bellies of Bakar's killers, taking them by surprise and her friends aback. The blood her bullets' recipients tasted flowing out of their mouths, as well as the deep holes in their guts, transfixed them. Their staggered falls back rested their spines flat against the rotting brick path. Bliss's walk over to them broke goosebumps out of all exposed areas of their skins. She aimed her guns between Lucia and Callista and the latter and Amelia. Her high from the park had Bacar's killers rift with fear, but absent of any guilt or even regret. Out of the blue, Callista and Amelia's lives bit the dust from their failing organs and destroyed arteries. As repulsed Bliss was with their fading quietuses, Lucia's non-existent mourning and much greater concern for herself disgusted her even more. Bliss belligerently sat on her belly and got in her face while pinning the gun muzzle on her forehead. She wanted to kill Lucia on the spot, but realized that her end would be no worse than the ones her lackeys just met. Bliss came to the feeling that killing and leaving her to rot would be too painless for someone of her character. She slid out the blade of her pink box cutter and drove it into her sternum. Lucia ear-breakingly screamed as Bliss drove her utility knife up her breastbone, tearing skin, ripping bone, and drawing blood by the squirt. She yanked out her cutter and jammed it into Lucia's neck and derived pleasure from hearing her choke on her blood and drool. Bliss slit the knife across her neck with one screaming slash, veiling her hair's small, tight curls over her face as a sweltering, hyperventilating high overpowered her. Her stand and turn to her friends sobered them harder than a freeway speed crash. Bliss's friends were of the opinion that the beast in her had attained its full form, a change Andrina went through and had Marti and Rocio undergo. Bliss told her friends to fetch her some clothes that didn't have Lucia's blood splatting them whole, giving them the chance to revisit a site only they knew about. Bliss's friends forced their way through the overgrown brush and into the thin hollow inside of a gigantic tree. Chase, Rian, and Carol 
Orda lay dead with their driven snow pure faces looking up, dried raw rope marks slicing around their necks. Her PK still fresh and profound, Marti asked them who was all that now, calling them insensitive, inconsiderate jackanapes. Andrina felt her loud anger rubbed her neck and leaned her teary face against her own. The jealousy in Rocio was almost nil due to her confidence that she'll always be Andrina's girl. Marti asked the Orda kids who were now the ones with the rope marks, adding that they got to experience the harm, intimidation, and hell they dismantled her with. Bliss's friends took Chase's red sneakers and hat, Rian's polo shirt, and Carol's skinny jeans. At a shallow river some distance from the quad, a half-naked Bliss tried to wash Lucia's blood off of herself. She was able to wash most of the blood off, dimming her hair to its natural dark blonde shade. Sitting on the stones and soaking below the water, obvious blood splatter remained on her clothes to her disappointment. Bliss mostly dried herself with handfuls of tall grass she ripped out of the ground. She gleefully smiled and clapped at the clothes her friends got for her. That joyfulness was made firm by how perfectly the hat, shirt, pants, and shoes fitted her. Jubilated by her new attire, Bliss asked her friends about her other clothes. Andrina assured her that a washer-dryer cycle at her mansion will get the blood off. Her residence had a colorfully gardened classicalness the House of Hanover would approve of, despite Andrina telling Bliss and Rocio to make themselves at home Marti advised the former against using that privilege as a front to go snooping. Bliss was blown away by the interior's rich clarity and antique elegance, though the portraits of Andrina, her parents, and little brother Andrino Jr. unnerved her a tad. Those pictures made her think back to the fit she had last night and into that morning taking her several steps closer to making that impetuous rush for home. She checked her phone and found that her father hadn't sent a word to her since they last exchanged text three months ago. That finding shakily dropped Andrina on one knee feelings of abandonment hurtfully pumping her veins. She heard her younger self dooming and glooming over Andrino never having been there for her. Bliss softly asked Andrina if she was okay, receiving a flared-up shove to the floor that shocked Marti and Rocio as much 
as it surprised her. Andrina screamed at her to mind her own effing business, or she'll punch it down her throat. Marti crouched to her aid as Rocio tried and failed to keep Andrina's anger under her restraint. Deeply offended and in the moment's heat, Andrina derisively asked if she should have expected anything else out of a red-necked indigent like Rocio or primitive-minded delinquent like Marti, taking the latter two to separate places of darkness and rage. After Rocio irascibly ordered Andrina to take what she said back, Marti slapped the taste out of her mouth, called her a spoiled, rotten B-word, and told her not to ever effing remind her of that again. Bliss watched in disbelief as Andrina and Marti went the most acrid of knuckles. Rocio tried to break them up only for Andrina to sucker punch her nose. In distress, Bliss couldn't tolerate watching the two-on-one fight for a second longer. She screamed her demand for them to quit fighting at the top of her lungs, suddenly ending their fight, their faces bruised up and their hair and clothes out of sync. They were stunned by her worried yet unrelenting glower. Bliss emotionally reminded them that they were best friends whose angers lie with those who've done them wrong and not with each other. Andrina agreed with her and so did Marti and Rocio, exchanging apologies that wished their fight never happened. Their batteries running low, the girls called it a night, falling into separate deep sleeps. Bliss woke up and found herself lying supine atop a hill in her white clothes. She stood up and saw that the hill she was on towered above many others as mountains surrounded the terrain, filling her whole body with peace of mind. Bliss's mind went back to her last great school memory, the 2005 spring trip to the land mass that was West Shetland. She saw a girl in a dragon mask chase a boy in a night mask in a playground between two hills, not anything unlike what kids would do at school. Their game of knights and dragons sounded and looked like it was all in good fun. Watching them play, Bliss had a hard time keeping her giggling glee quiet. She made her way to the playground's entrance, seeing the girl grab a hold of the boy to tickle the laughs out of him. The boy friskily and happily resisted while yelling uncle and told the girl to quit it. His playmate helped him to his feet and they had a nice laugh. Bliss's heart 
came crashing down like a ton of bricks when they removed their masks and revealed themselves as herself and Eldon Jr. from three years ago. The playmates decided to keep playing, beating Bliss down in a woeful sweat. Their roles switched. Her younger self was being chased by the boy who hopped onto her back and shoulders and applied on her a choking headlock. The girl yelled at him to let her go and that she was serious, struggling to breathe from her inability to escape her brother's hold. She charged onto a dip in the bed of wood chips and tripped forward, launching her brother's head onto the sharp end of a thick bolt. They fell straight down. He bounced off of her and wailed as hard as his vocal cords would allow. The blood spurting out of his cracked open skull battered the girl in a sorrowful penitence. Her yell of his name drove Bliss to scream onto her hands her woefulness. The girl tended to him and firmly cradled him, not believing the ugly injury that she inflicted on her own brother. She asked herself what she had done, told him that she was sorry, and swore to God that she didn't mean to hurt him. But to her shock, the boy tightly joined in on her hug, elating her over his willingness to embrace her despite the injury she caused him to have. That implied forgiveness granted her the strength to promise him that she won't let him disappear where he rested. Bliss dropped her face flat onto the wood chips, shutting her eyes to force an end to her dream-turned-nightmare. The guest room's silence did nothing to heal the penitence she acquired from her incubus. Her phone's vibrating reminder of its full battery showed her the image that made her long for her earlier life two days ago. That image brought some much-needed reassurance to Bliss's soul, igniting her impulse to make that return home and see her family. She told her family not to worry, as she and they will soon be together again. Andrina, Marti, and Rocio were still sleeping, even as the sunrise beamed its lights into their rooms. Bliss put back on her red clothes and away her cable, power adapter, and phone. She folded her now bloodless white clothes and slapped on top of them her Birkenstocks. Bliss said goodbye to her friends as their sleeps were still on top of the sky's clouds, then quietly proceeded to the front door. Her pull-down of the knob got Andrina to ask her where she was going. That question terrorized Bliss into unhanding her clothes and the knob. Her terror fell to a sub-zero cold when she saw her friends aim their guns' laser sights at her brain, heart, 
and intestines. Bliss's friends hoped that she wasn't planning to stab them in their backs by deserting them. She met their hope with a question of what her departure was to them. Marty replied that Bliss's attempt to leave meant the very real chance of her being a snitch. Bliss exclaimed to her friends that she had no reason nor any plans to rat them out. All she wanted to do was go home and see her family displeasing her friends severely. Andrina spelled out to her that her family didn't give two S-words about her. Bliss mostly wanted to see her innocent little brother having little love for her parents. Marty reminded her that he wasn't there for her when her ex-bullies drove her to the brink of death. Bliss responded that there wasn't any way for him to have known. Rocio said that Eldon didn't help her make friends when he could have. Bliss repeated that he had no clue that things weren't all right with her school life. Rocio asked her if Eldon even bothered to ask how things were going. Bliss answered that he never once entertained asking her that kind of question. She doubled down on her desire to see her loved ones, calling them her family and her friends nothing more than boon companions. Her friends enragedly fired blanks that jolted her back first onto the door, sitting her down as she weakly shivered. Andrina told Bliss she wasn't going anywhere and that she was here to stay for good. She threatened to kill her and her family if she so much as reached for the doorknob. The hearted AMRs tattooing her friends' chests returned bliss to her poisoned senses. She delicately asked them if the four of them were still a family, sombering dull the sharp ends of their displeasure. Andrina said for herself, Marti and Rocio, that their family was still four members strong, telling Bliss not to dare think otherwise. Marty added that they've been on her side the moment they first laid eyes on her. They helped Bliss deal with her ex-bullies for her sake and not theirs. She didn't know what she was thinking when she told them that she didn't regard them as family. Bliss struggled to express in words how grateful she was for what her friends have done for her, giving her a strength and pride she didn't have before. She said that now that they've made her bullies go away, it was time she joined and led them in having other people's tormentors suffer the same fates. In her friends' eyes, that more than compensated for what she almost did. Bliss's plea for them to believe got Andrina to assure her that they did. Rocio stopped her from trying to apologize, saying that she and the girls knew and accepted her apology. 
Marti told a cross-roaded bliss to consider the girls and herself her new family and force her old one out of her brain for good and all. She set forth a chance for her to think it over in the shower and in her room while she and the girls got ready for the day. Bliss sat neck deep in her thoughts under the shower's spraying waters, its drain casting upon her a six-year-old memory of herself and Eldon bathing with no cares in the world. She and he had a snowball fight using handfuls of soap bubbles, used rubber bath toys to play sea monsters, and lathered and rinsed each other's hair. The cheeriness of their time in the bath rubbed its feel-good hands on both their cheeks. That memory's fade-out made Bliss's shower end on a placid yet stern note. Neither that nor her dress back into her clothes from the valley helped in making her mind up. She cringed, watching herself and Eldon run through the cushy, colorful maze of the Bromelia party game show on Gaiotel. Bliss turned the channel to an Adimel Sport rerun of the 2008 North Sur Highway Rally. The broadcast panned right to show fans expressing their excitement for the racers as they raced on by the downtown of Preston City, Desierto del Sudeste. Bliss saw herself and her family excitedly wave and blurt out to the camera. She switched to Telezoro's sitcom about a middle-class housewife in the big city. Bliss saw Trinity as its main star, arousing in her a bitterness that stung like rubbing alcohol on an open wound. The channel she then changed to was an interview Eldon Sr. did with one of the talking heads over at Telezoro Business. He explained how making money was simply something that came with being the chief economic advisor for Hobsbawm 6 and not the goal. His words assaulted Bliss's senses of sound and sight, gaped her eyes, and had her fuming. He told the interviewer that the goal was to ensure that all his clients achieve their financial goals and dreams. Bliss switched to a Little League baseball game on Gaiotel Sports that was at the bottom of the ninth inning. Eldon Jr. hit a home run, winning the provincial championship for his team. His teammates swarmed him and they celebrated like soccer players who've scored the winning goal. The crowd chanting his name, he waved at them but didn't give Bliss a single glance. His lacking attention convinced Bliss that he had become a spitting image of their mom and dad. This harsh realization made it a no-brainer for Bliss as to which road she wanted to go down. She called Eldon Sr. and Trinity uncaring a-holes of today and Junior a careless jerk of tomorrow. But... That didn't matter to Bliss anymore as she had finally found her family. 
and had no intention of ever, ever letting them go. She met her friends where their bond almost came crashing down and designated them as her one and only family. Bliss was promptly thanked, hugged, and kissed for coming around to her friends' scope of influence. That decision made her step out of her old life and into her new one, indubitable. And as fate would have it, the road that new family chose to go down would make what awaited them unavoidable, having implications that would reach the presidential chateau. And that was Bliss's new life. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to the story I just gave. On that note, I'm Raul Guerrero, and come again for another gripping, thoughtful, and sinister episode of the Dystopian Republic.